If you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gradients Podcast. Today, I am here with Jennifer Smith, the co-founder of Scribe. Jennifer is a self-proclaimed economics nerd, the type of teenager who was watching C-SPAN and made her way up through consulting, where she first started kind of bumping her head on these operations programs and knowledge keepers within organizations and how to unlock them. That is now kind of the foundation for Scribe. She then makes her way into VC at both uh, Code2 and Greylock, where she was learning a lot about how software is bought, not just how it's sold, and really getting kind of that inside look at how Fortune 1000 companies think about SaaS products and what to look for and how those sales cycles look. And then you found Scribe, where you were not exactly like coming to the valley, like I'm going to be a founder and take on this journey, but find yourself in those shoes regardless. We're going to talk all about that. She's going to share some of what she's learned and more about the hiring side of and how she's filled out her leadership cast. Thank you for being here, Jennifer. Thanks so much. So excited to be here. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And so to start, where are you in your life when you decide to found Scribe? Like what's going on in, in your head? You'd been thinking about this problem for a while, but maybe never decided to that you needed to be the person to take the leap and, and solve it. Yeah, I'd been thinking about this problem for a long time and it gnawed at me in like a, gosh, this is just a really terrible, inefficient way for everyone around the world to be working nine to five. Someone will solve that someday, right? And you sort of just kind of tuck it in the back of your head. I had never kind of intentionally planned to be a founder. I took a few months off from work and decided, this is in my early 30s, and decided for the first time in my life to ask myself the question, what do I want? which is pretty remarkable that it took me that long to actually stop and think about it. And in that time, I got married and had a honeymoon and did a whole bunch of fun stuff. And it really shifted my perspective where I started thinking about what am I going to be really proud of? Sounds cheesy. What do I want my legacy to be in life? What do I think is going to be my important contribution? Right? I was in my early mid-30s at the time. And it's okay. So maybe I got 20, 25 more years of working. Like That's a few good runs. What is that going to be? And I finally came down to the thing that mattered most to me was building something and being part of something that hopefully would be bigger than me and endure beyond me and being able to work with people that I cared about every day in an environment that I felt like was conducive to good work. And I didn't really care whether that was my thing or someone else's thing, right? To me, it was more just about the opportunity to build. And so I spent a bunch of time and talked to early stage companies about what they were looking to do, looking if I wanted to join something. But I kept coming back to this problem and it just kept really gnawing at me. And so then I started searching and saying like, okay, how are people solving this? Surely someone has figured this out, right? I kind of went down that path. And I kept saying, I don't like the way anyone is doing this right now. Like they're not doing it right. This is not feels so much of this feels like technology that is trying to find a problem rather than starting with the problem first. And so... I said, okay, let me do this thing. And so I just kind of started working on it and thinking about it and things snowballed from there. Wow. So you want something done right, got to do it yourself. Like just couldn't find anyone else kind of executing on the vision as you saw it. Did you know that this was the problem or 
Were you looking around at totally different sectors or was it all kind of SaaS oriented? No, it was very clearly on this problem. It was people are showing up to work every day and they are spending eight hours with their fingers on keyboard working across a number of different software systems and tools, right? And that's only grown both in number and complexity over time. And the way everyone is doing it is massively inefficient because they're all doing it slightly differently. And they're all doing it like trying to sort of remember the best of the way they were supposed to do it. And I don't know if you have this experience. I do all the time when I go to do something complicated, like processing wires at my bank, for some reason is really complicated. I have to do it every month. Right. And every month I dread going in and doing it because I can't remember exactly on the portal where to click and it's kind of buggy and it takes a while, but I got to get it right because it's important. And so you just multiply that across millions of knowledge workers who are doing this all day long and things that are probably even more important than just me approving some wires. And we just assume that's a cost of doing business today, right? We're like, well, of course, it's just, it's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know how to navigate these systems and tools. Of course, everyone's going to do a process a little bit differently in a company, right? That just is the way it is. And if you don't know, you're going to ask your friend sitting next to you to show you. That's That just is what happens. Who may or may not be the person who does it the fastest or the best or most effective. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I often say that there's like a best gray market for information in a company, which is people are just asking each other all the time, hey, can you quickly show me how to do that? How do I do this? Can you just, it's all this shoulder tapping. And you hope they're asking the expert, but they're really probably asking the person sitting next to them, their friend, the person who responds fastest on Slack. Right. right? And so you're getting this, again, at best kind of gray market of information. And it doesn't have to be that way, right? Like technology has advanced such that it doesn't have to be that way, but we all just kind of take for granted that this is a common problem and there's no solution. So it's just is what it is. I was looking at Scribe earlier this morning and I was even talking to my team like, oh, maybe we should use this. We have kind of a, a memory emporium within the firm where we tried to break this down. But as soon as you said the all of the infinite tasks being done in all the different systems and tools that people use for doing them and just like the variance in time and efficiency within a, an organization, especially as you scale, like the larger and larger organization, probably the wider that variance maybe. Okay, that's interesting. And so you have this idea, you decide, okay, I'm going to be the one to solve it. What do you do next? What's the next thing or the next maybe few things that you're like, all right, because you spent some time in VC at this point, you kind of know a little bit of the dance. So what does that look like for you? Yeah, so we raised a little bit of money and very little. We were actually like four or five times oversubscribed. And I said, no, I'm going to take a very small amount because I just got to figure out, is there even a there there, right? I want to build a really basic MVP. I want to get this in the hands of a few users and just like see, what are we solving? Do people even care? I think they're going to care a lot, but like, will other people actually care? So we raise a little bit of money and we hire a few engineers and we just start building stuff for customers. And getting something in the hands of people. It's, people say this all the time. I'm sure every startup podcast you listen to will be like, just ship things really quickly. And I'm here to say it again, <laughs> which is if you were to ask me like my biggest regret time and time again as a founder, where do you think you've made mistakes? I will always say like not shipping things like fast enough, wow. right? Spending too much time kind of thinking about it. You need to just get it in the hands of people and they will tell you. They'll tell you if they care or not. If you hear crickets, you know they didn't care. If you hear a lot of feedback, that means they care. And then maybe you didn't just build the exact right thing, right? And so I always say like, as a founder, there's really only three things you have to do. You have to do them very well. You have to have a a vision for the world that you imagine. What is the problem you're trying to solve? And how would the world look different 
if that problem were solved. And then you need to build a really great team. You need to hire great people and point them in the direction of that vision. And then you need to obsessively listen to customers and respond to what they're telling you. And not always verbatim exactly what they're telling you, but the why behind what they're saying. They might tell you, oh, I I don't like the color of this button. But really what they're saying is, I'm trying to solve for this being more obvious on the page. So I think if you can do those three things and do them really well, then you're golden. But they're hard to do. Yeah, simple doesn't mean easy. Yeah, exactly. And so on that second bullet point of the hiring, you say that we raised the money. You already had your co-founder at this point. And how did you find your co-founder? What was that process? You mentioned that you've talked to 80 people before choosing this person. Yeah, yeah. So Aaron is our CTO and my co-founder. And I describe meeting Aaron as one of the sort of greatest strokes of luck in my life. I talked to 80 people. I talked to more than 80 people. I stopped counting at 80. (laughs) I had to guess like 120. I'm not sure before I met Aaron. And I think it's important to talk to a lot of people, even when we were hiring for additional roles, didn't talk to quite 80. But when we went to go hire a marketing leader, for example, a quarter before I knew we would even start the search, I started asking around for who are great marketing leaders. Yeah, And then I wanted to pattern match off of what great looked like. And then you need to have a bunch of conversations if you've never hired for this role before. You need to have a bunch of conversations so you can start to see what good looks like. And so this is what I did with hiring our CTO was try to talk to a bunch of different people because you're trying to solve for many different things, especially at that kind of first hire and and now him being my co-founder too. You spend a lot of time together. You've got to have a shared vision for what you're doing. You have to have shared values. You have to work together really well. They have to be great at what they're doing. And they have to be good in that early stage capacity. And so it's a pretty... So many things have to line up that it's really unlikely that the first 20 people you talk to, you're going to find that person. You should expect to talk to many. This is what I always tell people when they're like, oh, I think I might have found a co-founder. Like, how many people have you talked to? And they're like, my fifth person. And I'm like, it's statistically pretty unlikely that you just... It could happen. It totally happens. But if it was just kind of a random grab bag, it's pretty unlikely. And so it made it so from the first conversation that I met Aaron, I knew he was incredibly special. Because you already talked to 120 people before him to have that context for that chemistry or whatever it was, the answers you were getting. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And that point you make too, like, I don't want that to go over people's heads of talking to a lot of domain leaders in that space before actually going out to try and hire someone. Because, yeah, you don't have context for what the spectrum of ability or across that skill set or what seniority means or how domain might play a role. Yeah, or different flavors of it. Like marketing, as an example, you could have a marketing leader who skews more brand, who skews more performance marketing, who skews more product marketing, who skews more demand. Like, And those are very different kinds of marketers. You might put the same word, even the same word in someone's job title doesn't mean they do the same thing, especially in some of these functions where they're pretty broad. And so you want to understand a couple things. One, like what do those different flavors look like and what helps you solve for what you're trying to do in your business at that time? What level of seniority are you looking for? And what does good look like? And so I always tried to talk to people, even if I didn't think that they were ever available. I love my job. I'm never leaving. I've got great pre-IPO, so whatever it is. I'd be like, great. Do you mind just chatting with me about what you think makes a really good marketer? I'll see 95% of the time people say, yes, they love to have that conversation with you, right? And then you ask people, what's the best one that you know? 
I'm not going to try to hire them. Okay. Introduce me our investor to introduce me to the best marketer in your portfolio company. Promise I'm not going to try to hire them. I just want to understand what great looks like. And you do that a quarter before you ever think you're going to open a job rack, just so you have a prepared mind going into that. And that timing piece is critical to how you mentioned a quarter. The time to hire is like whether or not you're hiring the search firm and then filling the pipeline and then running the candidates through the process. And then you do find that person and then there's their unbundling from their current company and then there's ramping up in your company. And yeah, getting that early start, I think makes a huge difference in like how calibrated you are when you finally do go. And so you mentioned all the different flavors of an executive. Maybe you can tell us what you were looking for what kind of flavor of CTO? I feel like even in that realm, there's multiple kinds of CTOs. What was it about his skill set that really just resonated with you beyond the shared vision, shared value pieces? Yeah, Aaron really became more than I was even setting out to find. I was looking for an engineering lead, right? We were like a team of two at that time with some contractors. Okay. <laughs> we were very small. What I saw when I met him that I recognized was even better than what I'd been looking for was a real entrepreneur which is he's in, incredibly technically skilled, but he almost doesn't let that get in the way of him being able to think really creatively and just ship product. So the thing that he loves to do, and I think this is really important for your early engineering hires and becomes different as you start to scale out your engineering team, is you're looking for people who just love to ship, who have an idea and who say like, gosh, I just, I couldn't help myself. I got so excited about this. I just, I stayed up all night and I just built an MVP and I got to show you what this looks like. And so people who are a bit of a polymath can be really helpful in those very early stages too, who can do some of the design themselves, who can do some of the product direction as well as building. Looking for someone who's like the most excellent version of any one of those three, you're looking for someone where those things combined can be really magical and special in that very early hire. And then as you build out your engineering team over time, then you want to start to look for a bit more. Like we started adding what I'd call engineers engineers. Who are the people who are going to start beating the table and be upset that you don't have automated testing, right? Those are not the same people who like are just designing and coding and like kind of building stuff themselves really quickly and like hopping on the phone with a customer to show them, right? Yeah, that product-oriented mindset. Totally. So then you got to think about like, what does that balance look like over time? And in the early days, you just want people who love building product. That's interesting too, because there's two pieces here of one, y'all are a product-led growth company where it was about getting it in the hands of people. And then very rapidly, those people started kind of demanding new features and showing their friends. And then you have this larger audience that you're servicing. I feel like that kind of makes demands on a company to scale in a way that maybe when you're a sales led, you can kind of, I don't know, not ration it out, but pace yourself maybe a little bit more. I know that at Scribe, you're growing pretty aggressively. And you mentioned that you made the decision to hire a lot of executives early in the company's life cycle. Can you talk us through some of that thinking of knowing that you had this like aggressive growth coming via just the numbers you were getting of people using your product and like why starting at the leader versus kind of building out maybe like a small team, then frontline manager, and then another small team and then director. Right, right. So our philosophy was to run really painfully lean until it felt like the market was ripping it out of us and then to put our foot on the gas and go as hard and fast at it as possible. And so that meant we were really understaffed for a long time. 
people would use our product, get to know us. And they'd be like, by the way, like, what's your team? And I'd be like, it's me and four engineers. And they'd be like, what? (laughs) So we then hit the point where we said like, okay, now is the time to go. We're going to build a go-to-market engine around this. We're going to build a professional engineering or build professional product org, all of that. And when you go to make those first hires in a category, your choices, do I get kind of like someone who's an IC who I think might be able to step up at some point? Do I get someone who's an IC who I just, I assume I'm going to hire someone more senior than them? Or do I bring in the, the senior leader? And we had different opinions based on the function and sort of the capabilities of what we had on the team already and what we felt we needed to fill. But by and large, we geared towards hiring a senior leader who could then build out a team under them. Yeah. So we decided to hire, by and large, more senior leaders. And that's a very tricky thing to do because if you were to pull the average senior leader out of a company, especially a a bigger later stage company, which they're almost going to be by definition when when you're early stage, the, the average one that you would pick would be a terrible choice for early stage startup, right? And so you're looking for a very specific kind of person. And we were looking for folks who wanted to build. So I would listen to phrases like, I really want to build something. I want to do something from scratch. Right now, I'm operating my team. I, I love solving problems. I love building out a team and thinking about how to, to set up my org. But all the big problems have already been solved, right? Or someone else did this before I got here. And I really want to see what this looks like from the beginning. I listen to phrases like that. Most people are not going to say those phrases to you. And they're not the right answer. You know, in the first call, like, this is a great manager great, go be a manager. I was looking for people who are builders and who happen to already be leading teams or like on the cusp of about to being able to do that. And I was looking for people who had seen what great looked like before because I didn't want them trying to figure out what great could be here. I wanted them to say like, I've seen what excellence looks like. Now I go to figure out how do I build excellence from scratch. And then you're looking for a lot of kind of soft skills too, right? Almost personality traits. Like, do they have a strong bias towards action? Especially if you're getting people who are coming from bigger companies. Like, you want to... Are you going to feel comfortable having an idea one day and shipping it the next day? That's the level that we have to be at. So there's a lot that goes into making these kinds of hires and, and making sure that it's a good fit on both sides. And I spent most of my time recruiting people, trying to convince them why they should not come do an early stage startup and why they should not come to Scribe. And those who self-select in and say like, no, the things that you're describing to me as drawbacks are positives to me. That's what I want. End up becoming really great fits, right? Because they want what we're in it for. And what I'd often say to people is the early stage startup journey is very special. For most people, it's a special version of hell. (laughs) It's very ambiguous. It's ill-defined. Things are constantly changing. You get feedback from the market. It's often ruthless, like pretty immediate. But for a certain subset of people, it's a really special privilege. And it's for those exact same reasons, right? That's hilarious. You're looking for the people who say like, no, 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 no. Like, that's what gets me really excited. Yeah. It's like, hey, do you want this really hard job? It's probably harder than the job you have, except for there's also less scaffolding and support for it. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're really just in the trenches with your crew. Yeah. And most people don't want that. Right. I mean, just random grab bag of people. Most people are not going to self-select into that. And that's great. That makes your job really easy. I think the most important thing to realize when doing early stage recruiting is you are not trying to convince people to come do an early stage company. 
You are trying, it's a search problem, not a convincing, not an influencing problem. It's a search problem. You are trying to find people who have either done it before already and want to sign up and do it again, or who deep in their heart of hearts have always wanted to go do this and be part of building something, but maybe haven't had the opportunity or have been too afraid or just haven't found the right thing yet. And so then your job becomes, how do I get them to do what is actually the expression the deepest expression of their desires. Like, how do I help them get to the place where they can do that? And so then my conversations with them become much more about like, what is it you want to be doing? What's interesting to you? Let's talk about what success would look like. It's five years from now. What do you want to be able to say you've done? And then I try to match that up with, is that the journey we're on here at Scribe? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you give them the opportunity to opt into the story on those axes. This is interesting, the idea of like leveraging a negative cell of like, these are all the problems. Does that appeal to you? Versus like this convincing of like, and this is how well the company's doing. This is the, you know, and I'm sure that there, it's not that you're not saying those things, but you're also trying to screen for, as you're saying that like core motivation, if this is really on their life roadmap in some respect. And you're trying to be time efficient. You've got to talk to so many people And people who are job searching are having a bunch of conversations too. There's no reason for us to have a second call if it's very unlikely we would have a third call. Yeah. And so on that point, like you've hired out, how big did your executive team get before the Series A, I guess? And did you hire more already post Series A? We had hired most of our exec team by the time we had the Series A. Okay. So you have a, is that a, as a product person, you got your CTO, you got your product person, maybe your marketing person. We had product was the last one, actually. So we hired the product person after our series A, but we had a sales lead. We have like our post sales customer success lead. We had uh, marketing, gross, engineer. Engineering might have come just after the series A. It was all kind of around the same time. We've got what we call strategic initiatives, but it's basically like a one woman Swiss army knife. Um, we wrote all kinds of like interesting problems, which has just been an excellent hire. And I really thought about both for those individual functions, what kind of capabilities do we need? But then also like, how do these people work together? And what are the overall capabilities that, what do Aaron and I bring to the table and what do we not have? And how do I try to supplement that either with my board, with my investors and advisors or with my team? Yeah, because each person is kind of setting the bar, setting the, helping set the soil for the next person and the next person. There's a question there, but also on this idea of how many people you have to talk to, what would you say on average, whether uh, how long or how many conversations you have to have before you're finding each one of these people that feels right? I'm trying to do the math because as we hire more people, we have a recruiter and then we have a whole process. And there's like many different people that they'll talk to before I talk to them. So. Once we had that whole process in place, I would probably talk to 15 to 20 candidates. That's decent. That's it. End of the process. So let's assume one in seven people made it to me. Yeah. So maybe we're doing 100. A recruiter would actually know these stats. I should ask her. But like maybe we're talking to 150 people. Did you have the recruiter before hiring your first executive after you have the two co-founders? No, we didn't have a recruiter in-house when we hired the exec team. We brought the recruiter in when we started really like scaling up hiring. We tripled our team size in two quarters. Wow. So we just hired a lot of people pretty quickly. And it was right around the time. We hired my exec team right before 
all before my son was born. That's not an accident. I wanted to make sure that I had the team in place. And then during that time, when my son was born, like we just hired a bunch of people. So I wanted to make sure we had the infrastructure in place and we knew how to hire and how to onboard. Yeah, that the leaders were in place, the hiring engine was scaled up and it could kind of, the machine was like set to go. So what, how did you think about developing your process? I know onboarding is really important to you. You talked a little bit about the cultural thesis and how meaningful the values and vision piece is to you. How did you go about setting up a process to go out and hire these executives before having that recruiter? And we hear that founders are spending or should be spending 50% of their time recruiting, uh, especially at those early stage. Maybe you can answer also like how true that was for you during this period and maybe if that still holds true today. Yeah, during our most intense hiring times, I spent 75 to 80% of my time on hiring. I don't think you can get away with doing much less than that. Maybe 50%, sure. It depends how much you're hiring, right? If you're hiring like one person a month, you can do much less than... And you have a process in place and there are other people on the team, right? You can do much less than that. But when you're kind of in hyper growth mode, your job is to hire. And so we thought a lot about what does the candidate experience look like? And not from the perspective of like, oh, we want it to be warm and fuzzy for everyone kind of coming through. But from the perspective of like, your onboarding for your job starts from the first moment you interact with someone at that company. And so how do we be really sort of time efficient and accurate in the way that we portray ourselves and help people understand this is what we're about. This is who we are. And so... We really wanted to make sure people, even within like a first 20, 30 minute call with us, had a great sense for what Scribe is, what we're about, what people here are like, why we believe what we're doing really matters, what the opportunity is, what it would be like to work here, and some reasons why you would or wouldn't come here. And then we thought about, okay, who are the different people that we think they should meet on the team to try to better understand what we're about, the people they'd likely be working with, people who could give them different perspectives, maybe someone who just joined versus someone who's been here a while versus like someone on a different team, right? And and what would that be? And simultaneously, what are the things we're trying to learn about from them? And we're assessing culture fit straight from the beginning. And then depending on the role, we would sort of design different paths of when would we do some kind of technical assessment? What would that look like? We had a pretty strong philosophy against doing extensive take-home exercises and things like that because we said we want any kind of skill assessment to really mimic what working here is like. And it doesn't look like go away on your own and do work for 20 hours without talking to anyone. And so we said, okay, we're going to A, pick a real problem. We're not doing any like brain teasers or really... Yeah, in a world... Abstract things that you haven't thought about since college, right? No, we're going to talk about a real problem we're having right now. We are trying to figure out how to do this. We would love to talk through with you how you would think about solving this. It's a product role. How would you think about solving this particular problem? What's the data you'd be interested in? How would you collect it? What are the questions you'd want to answer? Why don't you go think about that yourself for an hour, right? Just take a little time on your own. It's not a pop quiz. Take a little time on your own, but just kind of think about it. And then let's just have a collaborative conversation. And then what's great about doing it that way is is one, it's not too onerous of an ask on the candidate. Oftentimes they have another job and they're juggling other commitments at the same time. And really, it just gives very accurate two-way signal because we get a really good sense for how does this person think? How do they solve problems? And what's it like to work together? Did we have fun? And did we generate more ideas and better ideas being together on this? 
And the same thing on their end. The thing we'll often hear from candidates is like, hey, I, I really liked how you guys did the recruiting process. I feel like I just got a really great sense for everyone at Scribe and for what it would be to work here. And so when I go to make folks an offer at the end, I'll, I'll always ask like, is there any more information we can give you before we get to the final step? I mean, is there anyone else you want to meet? Any open questions you have? And most of the time the answer is no, because they're like, gosh, I feel like I should have questions, but I just have gotten such a good sense for what it's like because I've met people here and they've been very forthcoming. And I just, I feel like I could really imagine myself being here. I got a really great sense. So that's not by accident. Like we thought a lot and we're constantly kind of tweaking and and changing how we do the process, but we're trying to design it to be highest signal, lowest time commitment on both sides. Yeah. That's the ideal is the highest signal for sure. I like the emphasis on like the collaborative dynamism that happens when two people are thinking about the same problem together versus like present to me everything that we've given you and putting a lot of signal in that. Because that's pretty artificial, right? Yeah, it's artificial. Work doesn't happen that way. I don't tell like my head of product, hey, go go off for a week and design a great roadmap and come back to me with it. Right, right. <laughs> right? That's not how we build. And so we talked a little bit about the the hiring thesis and kind of the, what you're looking for in your leaders and even how you go about getting the signal on people. But what was your foundational cultural thesis in thinking about how you engineer and or nurture the culture of a company, especially when you are growing so aggressively? We say we want Scribe to be the best experience of people's professionals' careers. And we are looking for people who are great at what they do and want to become excellent at it here at Scribe. So there's a number of components to that. One is finding people who are great at what they do. And so we've designed our our processes, you and I have just talked about, around how do we find people who are great. And then it comes down to understanding what excellent looks like for them. So I ask people, let's say it's the end of your time at Scribe and like hopefully it's been a long time. And at the end of that time, you say, that was the most rewarding experience of my career. What has happened to make that true? What does success look like for you? And then I'm trying to map that up with the journey that we're on at Scribe, right? And this is where like, if someone says to me, hey, I want to become the best natural language processing engineer in the world. I'm like, that's great. That is such a wonderful ambition. Don't come to Scribe. Go to Google or one of the places that have some of the best NLP people in the world and go apprentice with them to see what really excellent looks like at that level, right? Whereas people who say like, oh, I want to build along lines of what we're doing. I say like, great. I feel like we're on the same path. We're on the same journey. To me, that's where the magic happens. When you hire really great people and you walk the same path that fits for them and fits for the company, and that's a double win. And then we think about how do we create an environment where people can do work that they feel really proud of. And to us, that's a place that's really transparent, that's really respectful, that's very collaborative, that also really pushes and challenges people to grow. So if you were to look at everyone on our team, I would say two of the most common traits that people share, and this is not an accident, is everyone's incredibly humble. They won't tell you about how awesome they are, but they're all very (laughs) accomplished. And everyone has a very strong growth mindset. How do I get better? How do we get better? How do we do better at this together? And so you can tell. Where that's like that track is kind of always playing in their mind. Yeah, exactly. And so we're looking for people who self-select into that kind of environment. Again, it's not the right fit for anyone. It's not the right fit for most people. But those for whom it is, they sort of meet people here and they're like, 
oh, this is what I've been looking for. This is great. And one of the most rewarding things for me, we've had just incredible user growth and all the numbers and everything is wonderful. But one of the most rewarding things for me has been so many people on the team will say to me, this is the best job I've ever had. That's huge. And that means a lot to me because I tell people I'm here to build a really big effing company. I'm very clear about that. But it's also very important to me that everyone has a really great experience along the way. And I do want everyone at the end of their time here to say that was the most rewarding experience of my life. And so I'm always trying to think about I love that. how do we set that up? Yeah, that you're not just kind of uh, strong-arming, dragging people to the finish line, as it were, but that people feel energized and in alignment with where the company's going, how the company is moving. Yeah, that's huge. It's not an easy thing. It's one thing to build a product, one thing to build a successful product, another thing to build a, an engineer or a corporate organization that is really harmonized in that way. The thing I love as a founder is company building. I love thinking about building a company. And there's many components to a company. There's obviously the product. There's your customers. Who are they? Why do they care about you? How do you get them to love you? How do you provide so much value that they can't help but use you? And how do you set up your people and your talent, both now and for the future to scale? And there's like so many different pieces and they all have to fit together. And I find that incredibly exciting. And it changes all the time. The challenges you're growing, like the challenges you had in company building six months ago are really different than the ones you're going to have in six months. Yeah, the complexity explosion just keeps going. I mean, it's good that you're invigorated by it (laughs) because it's definitely, it's never going away in some sense. And so now that you're further down this journey... We'd be in trouble if I didn't, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That would hurt. There'd be a lot of pain involved. Okay, so my two final questions is now that you are so far down this founder journey and you've had the early success, you're looking forward towards scaling the company. What is some advice that you would give to younger Jennifer who's earlier at in the founder journey? You know, when you're just starting out, what are some things that you wish you could tell yourself? Ship faster and talk about it more publicly to a bigger audience. We found that for a very long time, the only way someone knew about Scribe is if they knew one of our users. They were a user, they knew a user. And when we would talk to people one-on-one, our story would really resonate with them. They would get super, super excited. And so eventually we were like, oh, we should just tell this more broadly so more people hear the story. And then the floodgates opened and people got really excited, right? And then they had more material to share with other people. And so I would tell myself or kind of anyone getting started, like be get what you're building in front of as many people as quickly as possible. Because you're just, all you're trying to do is tighten the feedback loops and speed up your learning. The question you should ask yourself is, how do I learn as fast as possible? How do I accelerate my learnings all the time? I talk about building a rapid learning machine. How do I build a rapid learning machine? And you do that with as much data and input as possible. Once you have a sense for what you're doing, right? I mean, like (laughs) this doesn't apply to the very, very early days. You have to kind of have something now, but once you sort of have something. Yeah, but pre-MVP, just like. Yeah, no, then you could ask the wrong people and then you're going to get the wrong, you're going to get misguided advice because people won't be able to envision what you have in your head, right? But once you have something tangible, like that people can use, just test it, find your people. See if your people are out there and find them and then ask them. What would you want to see differently? How are you using it right now? Do you use your interviews? Just try to get out there as fast and as public as possible. I like the build out loud mentality, essentially. Yeah. Yep. Because you'll get feedback you never had anticipated. Yeah, I believe that because people are using it probably for different ways, for different reasons, in different places. 
not all of those ideas would just bubble up naturally within your organization, I guess. And then the final question is, who in the world of startups do you look to for advice or inspiration, someone that you'd want to publicly kind of give some flowers to who's maybe helped you along your journey or whose journey you're looking at and you see in respect? There are so many people that I don't know that I can shout out a particular one. I I learned a lot being in VC before seeing many different founders at all different stages from small twinkle in their eye to a public company that they recently IPO'd and learning so much from their different styles. I think the thing I took away from it, there's no one size fits all. It's very different. There are many different paths to the golden rainbow. (laughs) And the golden rainbow will look different for different people, by the way. And it's so much better to just figure out what is right for you and lean into that than to try to model yourself off of anyone else. I would say some of the best advice I ever got from founders was don't listen to other people. (laughs) They were like, don't listen to your investors. (laughs) Don't even sometimes listen to your users. You want to listen to the question behind the question or the feedback behind the feedback that your users are saying. Because I've had, I won't call them up publicly, but I have one who's like, his company is very successful. He's like, if I had listened to what my investors told me to do, my company would not have worked. (laughs) He's like, everything that we did was in the face of the common advice that we were getting. And it's because we, and what they're doing is, now feels very obvious, but was a non-obvious at the time. You have to really have a strong instinct. That's what you're doing as a founder. You have to believe in a vision and version of the world that does not exist today and is kind of hard to see. Because if it were easy, someone would have already done it, right? It would already exist. And so you have to, the challenge is you have to hold that mental model in your head of a different reality while still living in the present that looks different and figure out how to bridge the two. And in that space where you're seeing a world that doesn't exist, I can see how like the best advice is don't take advice. (laughs) Like, or at the very least from people who do not share that vision, who who you don't look at and trust that they're seeing the world in the same way that you do. Perhaps the shout out and love that I'll give though is just it has been so heartwarming and inspiring and humbling to me just how people come out of the woodwork to help you when you're building a company. People you met once five years ago, people you've never met, people who just happen to use your product and think it's great and have domain expertise and just reach out offering advice. I just saw our our Slack come through like we had a user send us like a, a PowerPoint deck they put together like things that we could make better in our product. But just especially I live here in Silicon Valley, like especially Silicon Valley, like really shows up for its people. (laughs) I just it's been incredible to me how generous people have been with their time, other founders, advisors, investors, people who have been building at companies who are happy to take a 30 minute coffee chat and answer the question, what does a great marketing leader look like? How do I solve for this particular enterprise motion? How do I balance my product roadmap? Any of these, any of these, how do I do my pricing and packaging? I have a number of conversations each week with just people around the valley who help me think about problems that I have or ideally problems I'm going to have in my business in a quarter and just help me be really smart about it. And it's just really incredible how generous people are. And the feeling you get when you're building a company is like everyone is rooting for you, which just feels wonderful because... So much of what we do is very hard <laughs> every day. And so having that kind of feeling like you've got that wind at your back or like that community supporting you really matters a lot when you're in the grind. Absolutely. You're a part of that community. You know, I appreciate you sharing so much with us and with the audience here about the journey. 
Yeah, you've been very gracious with your time, very patient with our technical difficulties. So I really appreciate you uh, sharing so much of your story. And I'm very excited for to continue seeing Scribe succeed out there. I think we're going to have to do a demo here at Build and make some of this knowledge sharing easier on us. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It was a ton of fun chatting with you. Likewise. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. Cheers. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.